1: Hello and welcome back to the New Books and In Your Religions podcast, a podcast channel here on the New Books Network. I'm your host, Dr. Raj Balkaran. Uh, more importantly, today I get to speak with Michael Fiden, who is a PhD candidate um, at the University of Texas at Austin. We'll be speaking about a fantastic open access Online educational resource that he's been working on. It pertains to the Valmiki Ramayana, a text that's near and dear to my heart. Uh, that hopefully we'll dive into a bit. Um, it's available online for students of uh, the Valmiki Ramayana, which is the most ancient Sanskrit uh, um, rendition of the text. The uh, URL is included in the podcast notes. Without further ado, uh, Michael, welcome to the podcast.
0: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
1: My pleasure. And uh, you know, we get so many props on the podcast. It's nice to sometimes get voices of uh, PhD students and and various people uh, beyond the academy. So maybe tell us a little bit about um, what you're working on or, or or right now in your program.
0: Yeah. So uh, I'm a PhD candidate in uh, Asian studies. Um, I passed my comprehensive exams what was it now, a few months back. So now I'm just kind of starting to work my dissertation. And my dissertation is on um, a large body of texts called the Grihya Sutras. They're domestic ritual manuals in Sanskrit um, that are very understudied. Uh, people don't really look at them very uh, in depth at least. And more specifically, I'm looking at um, ancestor worship or Shrada in, in these texts and how it develops through the corpus. And um, more importantly, maybe, I am looking at the political and um, religious um, impetus behind, behind the composition of, of the Gurdjieus, which doesn't help they can tell us about what's going on behind the scenes um, culturally and socially.
1: Fascinating. Now, oh. if I'm not mistaken, it's not too much of a stretch to think that you might perhaps work with one uh, Don Davis and or Patrick Olufell, correct?
0: Yes, Correct.
1: <laughs> they've both been guests of the podcast both doing fascinating work and uh don davis was on to talk about the dhamma Shastas online um resource not too too long ago and um and and patrick Olivelle's uh bot like nature in rendering such texts which yeah. is incredible i mean we all know that he's a bit of a bot in terms of scholarly production but apparently he's he just is a machine with this kind of work
0: it's being expanded all the very rapidly. And it's very useful to um, to be able to get those texts into searchable formats.
1: It's uh, it's a game changer. You know, I've got a file. I'm not even fully sure. I may have started using Gretel or I might have even been silly enough to manually create one. I've got a file that, David Mahatma me, and that was a text that I dissertated on. It was a topic of the first and for the most part, the second book as well. And uh, the control F feature <laughs> <laughs> it's like wow game changer you know really all is. the epithets visually you can see visually at a glance okay where does the text caller Ambika? and boom you can see these concentrations it's it really is a game changer to be able to search texts is that the primary reason why texts are digitized
0: Um, For my research, it helps a whole lot. I'm not sure it's the primary reason or not. It's just nice to have them in an easily accessible format, period. But in in terms of scholarship, it makes it so much easier to search through Greta, like you said, for any occurrences of certain strings of words that you're looking at. And then you can easily do the wider context that's right there. You don't got to look through an old book, you know, although there is merit to doing that, but I like having them all in one folder.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So how did you get? volunteered for or suckered into doing this project what was that like
0: well dr davis uh, had the idea originally um to do an online resource based on this text um for second year sanskrit students and i was um doing a um we were that semester we were we were reading something together and then this was like a side project i was i was just doing uh, on the side to um i don't know kind of um just to help students and get my own and get my own skills and making a resource like this um honed, you know, because it's not it's definitely not, not an easy task.
1: So what's that process like?
0: Well, for <laughs> tedious, tedious mm-hmm. translations. And I looked at um other translations of each of each of each of the other verses and I made they're all When in the resource, they're all, they're all my translations. I give um, Robert Goldman's translation as well for a number of reasons, but I have my own translation as well. And then if I ever, if I deviate from Goldman, I have to make a little footnote. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's all very, uh, very detailed. Then I I send it away to get reviewed. Um, Dr. Joel Brereton, Dr. Davis, um, Dr. Olivelle all looked at it. And they all had their own comments on my translations. I had to consider those, so it was like a back and forth kind of thing, and for every verse. So it was uh, it was pretty time consuming.
1: Listen, both by virtue of being a grad student and by virtue of deviating from Goldman, footnotes and copious footnotes are necessary.
0: <laughs> yes, exactly. Right. <laughs>
1: um, what so so when folks go to the site, what do they find?
0: Well, first, um, it's just a page with the copyright information that Dr. Davis helped me make. Then after that, it's a, um, a big introduction that I wrote um, about how, the, how it should be used, what the best way it, can, it should be used, and uh, how it's laid out, and how students can, eat, can easily use it. So the first, I'll get into this later maybe, but that's the, the introduction. It tells you what the text is, how you use this resource, why, it's a, why, it's, why I picked the text I picked. And um, how to use a dictionary. I'm not assuming students um, know how to use Monja Williams online or anything like that. So is this
1: resource geared towards students of Sanskrit, students of the Valmigila Mina or...
0: Both. It's ideally, it's ideally um, aimed at second-year Sanskrit students. And I, I can see it being used in two diff- different ways by them. So sometimes programs and schools don't have a dedicated... Um, class for Sanskrit or a Sanskrit professor or anything like that, but students get interested in a, maybe a religious study sentence, a set setting in Hinduism, something like this, and then they go off to do a, a year one Sanskrit summer class or something, and they come back, and then now uh, what do they do? right? They know, maybe the professor who knows Sanskrit is not have time to teach them or, X, or ABC, you know what I mean? So this guide picks, picks up there, and it says, look, if you want to do self-study, this will guide you step by step through it. So you can hone your Sanskrit stil- skills without needing a um, instructor per se. You can practice with this. It'll be, it'll be kind of like the instructor. And then second application would be being used by an instructor um, to supplement their own curriculum. Because um, to, to, to kind of use it as a secondary uh, learning tool or resource for the class. With the, then they would go through, that's the, the instructor would go through with the students and add his own spin on it.
1: How much of the Valmiki Ramayana do we find here?
0: How much of it? It's a Samkshepa, so it's a Samkshepa Ramayana. So it's the condensed version that is given at the very beginning. And I chose that because I don't know, it was always kind of frustrating to me when I was a Sanskrit student, or well, I still am a Sanskrit student, but I always will be, but when I was beginning a Sanskrit student, it was always frustrating that I got snippets of text they're like, okay, I read 50 verses of this massive text. I never got a complete story. But the samkshepa is a complete little story in their environment, and the students can feel um, good after they've completed it say, I've read this little story in Sanskrit completely, it's done. It's a beginning, there's an end, you know? So I thought that would be... Um, a nice way to, to um, continue teaching after the first year.
1: It is sort of nice to have um, a, a whole unit and maybe in particular a story. I'm, I'm a bit biased in that. I, I love stories and study stories and tell stories, but I vividly remember my very first uh, Sanskrit class with it was at the university of Toronto with uh, Libby Mills. And um <laughs> I think after one semester of grammar, we we, we started tackling actual texts. But um, I remember vividly we we were doing uh, the uh, Nellopa the the story of Nala uh, from the Mahabharata. If I'm not mistaken, to this day it's like Asidraja Nalonama Vira Sena Sutobali. It's just like you know the, the the once upon a time is just right there. <laughs> yeah,
0: right. Nala, yeah, Nala is the uh, the go to usually for second year
1: yeah um so this this uh this synopsis so just to contextualize a little bit uh, the whole vankira is a fairly large text it is in english thought of as an Epic text, unintended, perhaps, a class of text dealing with, uh, with larger-than-life themes. It is the story of the uh, legendary warrior prince, an avatar of Vishnu, Rama, the Ramayana, the goings of Rama, the happenings of Rama, the career of Rama. And interestingly enough, the text begins with this fascinating frame, which I think is so crucial for understanding the life of the text and transmission, where um, the first canto is the content, it's the bija before they move on to sort of uh the form and the and the ethos and all that. And um and um uh Von Niki questions uh Narada after, you know, the the the, the ideal person right Yep. and so who's the ideal person <laughs> who's perfect in every way guys oh funny you should ask there's this dude named rama and he literally you know we worry about spoiler alert so much in our culture and i think that's so bizarre because it's not how the story ends we see we see certain stories over and over again knowing how they end we enjoy the journey so so it's like spoiler alert he tells the whole story of rama at the first canto Yeah, right.
0: I think I think that's a that's a that's a a trope with Indian literature. But it's beautiful
1: because it's 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 not it's not the ending that matters. It's how you get there. It's the journey. That's right. why when we know how something ends, we watch it over and over and over again because we enjoy the, the aesthetic or spiritual literary journey that one goes on. Uh, and so, so just to contextualize for uh, a larger audience, you're looking at those those first verses that summarize Rama's career. That is the first chapter of the Valmiki Ramayana. And how many such verses are there?
0: If I remember correctly, it's seventy-nine. It may hey, be and maybe then- plus or minus a few.
1: Do you parse them all out? Do you yes? Maybe so you could say first, what parsing is.
0: So yeah, for, for the for the first, um, I divide my guide into two sections. So the first section, I completely dissolve all um all sandi for the students and I list the words and then I completely analyze grammatically each one. So I tell you everything about the word. And if it's weird, I do a footnote and tell you uh, about that as well. So I, I do all, I parse everything and I, and I um, completely analyze every single word. Give you the, for the verbs, I give you everything, the, the, um, the root down to the, down to the very root for the nouns um, same. I, I give you a number, gender, all that stuff. So the students won't have to, um, won't have to struggle with that unless they want to not look at that first and try themselves and then go back to that. So for the first section, I give you everything, the students, everything they need. And then make my own translation and show them Goldman's translation as well. So they can move between the two to see how um, I try to keep mine more literal and um, more literal than Goldman. So they can see um, the the merits maybe of a literal translation, a very literal translation. They can follow the Sanskrit. It'll, It'll sound really weird in English, right? But they can follow the Sanskrit more easily when I explicitly make it very literal. And then Goldman's, of course, much more, um, is not as literal, much more beautiful. So I, um, I, wanna, I want the students to kind of see that, how to move between different types of translations. And then they have their own translation as well, the students make. And then the second part, I still dissolve all sandhi and um, give them each word, but I do not give them any more details. And I link, I hyperlink each word to a site Which was, uh, this is a site that Dr. Gil Ben harut of the University of South Florida uh, made, Digital Roses. And it hosts, Mm -hmm. I I have a a scan of the, of the, uh, of Monday Williams with his pages. And I link them to the appropriate page for each word. So they can look, oh, here is um, some noun. And then they'll they'll see see a page, find the noun themselves, you know, and then, and then if it recurs down down the line in, in the text, I do not link them a second time. So I kind of assume a building knowledge, kind of like uh, like Whitney does, and that's kind of how the text how it's divided uh, for students. So first part, full parsing, full everything, meanings, everything. Second part, it's part more dictionary work. And I give them before that starts, I give them an introduction on how to use Monday Williams because I don't want I don't assume they know how. So I say, like, oh, this is how the, the definitions are arranged. This is how you look up words, that kind of stuff.
1: So uh, for those of you, many of you will probably catches references and some of you may not. So for those who study Sanskrit, particularly in um, the, at uh, at the academy, at Western Academy, uh, Moni Williams is this mammoth uh, comprehensive uh, Sanskrit English dictionary where one will look up a word and one will see, this is how it was used in the Rig Veda. <laughs> this is how it was used, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And the Upanishads and the uh, yeah, yeah massive variations and connotations on how particular nouns or or verbal roots are used. And indeed that is a dictionary unlike regular English dictionaries, which requires a handbook, a manual accompanying it to tell you how to use. Um, Is this resource the resource you wish you had in second year uh, Sanskrit training?
0: I never had an official. uh, So my path is a little weird, so yes, the answer is yes, uh, in short, but I never had an official second year Sanskrit um, class until I came to YouTube, before I just did informal readings with professors. But yes, if I had this resource to supplement my learning, it would have been great, and that's part of the reason why I liked making it so much, because I think it is going to be useful for students to use. And especially, uh, the, no one ever, I mean, the, to go back for a second, the Manuel Williams, Guide, I think, is important that I put in there because it's so misleading if you just look at the different countries. It'll go uh, for a word said, well, let me see, like Tantra, you know, you look it up and you see loom immediately, and you go, oh, yeah, it's a loom. Of course, later it's it's not a, really a loom, it's a burn with a whole bunch of more meanings. And, I, and the students seem to know to look down and see the later attestations or whatever the text they're working on. And I go over all that in that intro.
1: One of the things that's interesting about this resource is, you know, it's useful for those obviously studying the Valmikira minor learning Sanskrit, um, but it also, by virtue of how you parse out, you you dissolve the sandhi, and sandhi is the the elision that occurs naturally, naturally, it occurs um, um, between words based on what your mouth would would typically want to do anyhow. Like in English, you'll say... uh, it is, and really, you're not saying it is unless you're really mad at somebody. <laughs> you say it is idis. That's how it sounds. And so, in in Sanskrit, you would actually spell it idis. It is. Um, so you dissolve the sandhi, and then you parse it out, or you you sort of identify all the grammatical pieces and the case endings and um, the tenses, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It seems that the process that you're using is useful for folks to to have a look at and maybe tighten up or emulate in their own process that makes sense it's you're laying out a methodology of how one arrives at the translation would you agree
0: yes and i think that's also a very important part of it and that's yes i think that second it's easy to jump from what you learn in first year to trying to do um, translations like um, Goldman or Patrick Olivelle do, right? But I think that it's taken for granted that, that you need to know everything about each word, right? And In order to really start to get to that level that they're at, right? So I think that that, that, that it, is, it is a major aim to show them this is how you do it if you want to start to make your own translation of something. You can't just jump in and say, this word means this, I'm going to, You know, you have to know the case. You have to know everything. So I think that is exactly right.
1: Can this resource be used, you touched on this previously, but can it be used independently, or do you think this sort of enterprise ought to be engaged with a
0: teacher? I think that ideally it should be with a teacher. Just like um, you could read the Upanishads Right by yourself, but it's ideally you have a teacher at that as well to tell you what's missing, tell you the different parts that it leaves out. So yes, ideally with a teacher, but I think very easily can be used by yourself if you are if you already have the first year stuff down. Well, not down, but you've learned the first year stuff. I think that this can pick up there and be used by students independently. I really I, that's what it's aimed at.
1: Where do you go from here? Do you have other such projects in the work uh, in the works either? pertaining to um, Sanskrit study and or um, sort of online digital tools
0: yeah actually I've thought about um, of, not right now because I'm really uh, I'm kind of burdened or burdened down right now with my dissertation and some conference presentations and stuff but in the future I think I do want to expand on this because the the Velmi- 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 is reminded as one genre of Sanskrit literature now and if students, I want that. There's a bunch of others I could do for second year students like, you know, this is epic Sanskrit. What what about um, the Shastras? What about um, some Upanishad stuff? You know, and it's almost like different languages are moving in between, not just different genres. So I think that students would benefit to having the same kind of thing that I did with the Ramayana done for different genres and and, um, parts of the Sanskrit literary corpus which I think would be a great project in the future for me. I'm not gonna do it right now per se. And I I also want to put this guide in a more user-friendly format as well in the future. So I want it to be like um, a little uh, more pretty, if that makes sense. It's it's just a very basic kind of layout Google Doc right now, but I'd love it to be more interactive. And that's gonna involve putting uh, putting in the code, but I think uh, I could do that from what I've learned but it would be something for the future.
1: Yeah, it's probably wise uh, to think of those fine additions and improvements. As future projects because right now your primary project is this thing called your dissertation correct (laughs) which is the which is the sine qua non of a doctorate and which can be so challenging and overwhelming we have a term called abd for folks to do everything i mean absolutely everything except this piece so you're probably wise to focus on uh, birthing this piece into the world
0: Yes, that's my, my main focus now, but that's, that's not to say down the road, I'm not going to, um, I would love to revisit this. It, it interests me a lot. and I think there could be a lot more done on it.
1: Yeah, it seems without question. And you seem to be passionate about it. So I'd be surprised if you didn't, uh, um, if you didn't return to this sort of work. Why second year students in particular?
0: I think that... Um, it's easy to find a first year Sanskrit class. If, you, if you're interested in it, you could learn the basics with either a grammar book or one, a summer course, something like that. When it comes to second year, I don't think it's that, it's not as easy. And I think second year students, second year is so important and it's so hard to find a teacher. And I think that for those students, this, this, is, this will work well for them. But, I, but also I didn't want to write a grammar book I wouldn't be able to. <laughs> so, there are so many out there, and I, I use um, Rupal's grammar. She she did a wonderful grammar that I, I really like, and it's and it's new and exciting. And a lot of people are picking it up and using it. So that's why I, I use I use it for my references in in the in the guide.
1: Well, am I may not surprised that you use hers? Uh, we were chatting just briefly before we started this call about the podcast, and um, I was so taken with her book i interviewed her in 2019 when it came out because it seemed so geared towards learning i think i've had her on the podcast a couple more times since and um no she's not paying me anything for the i'm teasing this is i just really value the way in which she approaches sanskrit and her her, her teaching chops in addition to her her, her marian chops and so um I, I, i'm glad that you also see the value in that particular Sanskrit grammar book. Um, I wonder if there are others that you look at or that you, would, you think students might wish to draw on?
0: Grammar books for Sanskrit. I, when I learned Sanskrit, I, use, <laughs> I, I learned Sanskrit originally with Dr. Vitzel in the summer program. And I used the uh, really old grammar book, Perry, that was written in uh, pretty much the um, old English so was, I had to learn ye old English and then learn Sanskrit through that. So it was very difficult. So I would not recommend that. But I would recommend Whitney um, Whitney's an invaluable resource, but I think it's not a teaching tool, of course. You need to already know what you're doing before you start referencing Whitney for different grammatical things. Um, trying to think of any other grammar books that I really... I use McDonald's Vedic grammar a lot, but I do Vedic stuff. So when you're getting into that, that's like the really good but, but there's Vedic grammar for students and there's Vedic grammar I have both of them invaluable for Vedic studies but um I'm trying to think of any other ones that came out somewhat recently that I heard of I can't think of anything right now and I'm going to kick myself after this for not thinking of it
1: oh that's okay I mean there's there's a number they've been on for a while there's um oh, Goldman. there's Goldman. what the Goldman exactly right. there's Goldman there's the Spande there's um um, uh, cool. Sin, you know, there's, there's a number. Obviously, there's no shortage of, of options for students.
0: I like Goldman's too. I think uh, I think Goldman's can be used in the same way. I really, my I really like Rupels for this guide, though, is because it, it it's, Rupels itself is almost a, a, a teaching tool by itself. A student could maybe just go through Rupel by themselves and then jump to my guide afterwards without a teacher. I mean, it's hard, but I would say doable.
1: Fascinating. Is there anything else about the project or really anything at all in uh, your work? Uh, you know, is there anything else you'd like to share before we, or ask before we close today?
0: The only thing I thought of was the Dharma Shastra library. <laughs> we were tell us, about. tell us. I think it's really invaluable and it's always being added to. So if you haven't uh, seen that yet, I would, I would uh, look that up because. yeah. The,
1: and as I mentioned, there's an interview, um, there's an interview with Don Davis summer 2021, I believe, but in the timeless time of podcast land, that could have been yesterday or uh 10 minutes from now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right. But I, I in terms of my own work, um, I have a few things in the in the in the works. Um but um we'll see if I get any of it published on, down the road.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I think it's I it's 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 um I find it um I find it fascinating that in this particular case it's the seasoned profs uh, who have heard of and been on the podcast, but it's the grad student <laughs> to whom the podcast is new. That's fascinating. That's great. That's great. Well, thank you very much for appearing and talking about this uh, work.
0: Thank you very much for having me again. Okay.
1: For those listening, we've been speaking with Michael Feiden, who is a PhD candidate at uh, the University of Texas at Austin. Um, We've been speaking about a a, a fascinating new online open access tool for learning Sanskrit and or appreciating uh, the Valmiki Ramayana. The uh, link is in the podcast notes. Until next time. Uh, stay safe, stay sane, keep listening, and keep contemplating the mysteries of Sanskrit grammar. Take care.